2: And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. It's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's mint chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off.
0: This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
2: What is good and bad? Is it the destination that matters? Or is it the journey? You know, the old life's not about the journey about the destination, or vice versa. Everybody says it both ways. No one can decide what life's actually about. But I'm asking you, if you have a bad cause, an evil cause, but you do some good things, or do things for the right reasons, are you good? If you have a good cause, a great cause, But you do terrible things. Are you bad? Is there an answer to that? I'm going to tell you about just a few people briefly, and then we'll get into the whole thing. I want you to picture this. I want you to picture there's a man. He is an older gentleman. And look. We're all going to get old one day. Lord willing, I should say. And you ever talk to somebody who's older? I do all the time because I love perspective and wisdom on life and things. And they all, I mean, for the most part, they have a good attitude on everything. You don't run into really that many bitter old people. Oh, they're out there. But for the most part, the bitter ones died young. Nothing will kill you faster. But you get far enough into talking to them, and they'll all eventually tell you, hey, body isn't what it used to be, man. And half the time, it's tongue-in-cheek, and they get it. Ah, I had to I had to have my hip replaced. This, and body don't last forever. You know, it's always that kind of talk. Now, I want you to imagine there's an older gentleman sitting there. And sadly, he had recently had a stroke. Terrible thing. Terrible thing. I've lost lost relatives to it. Terrible thing. I'm sure many of you have been affected by stroke in one way or the other. And this old man who recently had a stroke, his voice was shot. As you know, it's not exactly a mystery. You can lose a lot of functionality with a stroke. We've all seen that sad story before, right? Older person, stroke, just not functioning right anymore. And someone stands up in front of this old man who had a stroke, who can't really talk. And he mocks him to his face about how he talks. Remember that. We'll come right back to that one. I want you to picture five men creeping through the woods in the middle of the night. These five men... They come across a home, a family home. This is not a police station, a bank, a military fortress. This is a private home out in the countryside. These five men, would you call them bandits? Crooks, criminals? Pull out their weapons, charge up to the door, pound on the door of this family home, Family opens up, scared to death. There is a father in there with his wife and three sons. And while she screams and cries and begs for mercy, you take the father and two of the three sons, and you drag them out of the home into the woods, and you slit their throats. Are you good or are you bad? Tell you what, we'll come back to that one. Just one more of these. You're a working class dude. As so many of you are. You're just a working class dude. Tired, live most of my life. Maybe you do construction. Maybe you got, you know, middle management somewhere, whatever. You just, just working stiff like the rest of us. And you get word on your way home today, wife calls you, baby, turn on the news. You turn on the news and you find out, oh my gosh, Mexico is invading. They're going to be here soon. And you race home and you, you get your wife and kids, you know, as far away from the Mexican border as possible to keep them safe. And you cruise back to your house and you get your weapons and your arm up and you find out you get word from one of your buddies my goodness the mexican army is they're at our town they're at the border of our town hey everybody let's go we got to we got to stop them and you get out there 20 of your buddies and you decide you're going to fight as hard as you can to protect your home protect all the families that are still there are you a good person or a bad person let's rewind a bit The United States of America, at one point in time, had what was called the Missouri Compromise Line, and this is the deal. You've heard of the Louisiana Purchase, undoubtedly. For those who haven't, very, very briefly, allow me just to explain. We bought the entire Western United States of America pretty much with the snap of our fingers. Now, it wasn't the whole West, but I'm not going to go into all the details on the Louisiana Purchase. Let's just say with one purchase of land, we doubled the size of the United States of America. We bought inhuman amounts of land, uncharted territory, basically. We had to go explore it. We had to figure out ways to settle it, divide it up into states, so on and so forth. But hey, man, we're in the money, right? Only this is a time in the United States of America when... I mean, we understand divide. Don't let people tell you today, oh gosh, we're not divided yet. Oh, we are very much divided. But this was a time in the United States of America where these divides were bad. Really, really bad. And it was the slavery, anti-slavery divide. You know, the North didn't want slavery. The South wanted slavery and in many cases had to have slavery because it was upholding their economy. But even that, gets complicated. You see, because we like to make things simple, it makes it easier for us to retain information. It makes it easier for us to explain away things. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. I grew up watching John Wayne movies with my dad. It was very clear. Well, obviously John Wayne is the good guy and those ruffians who kidnapped that poor lady and the kids are the bad guys and John Wayne's going to go kill them all and save her and give her a hug and say goodbye. There's good guys and bad guys. That's how we like things, right? But the Civil War I've always found and the things leading up to the Civil War, which is where we are now, we actually won't get to the Civil War today. Once you actually dig into it, There is no better way to describe the Civil War, the divide of the country, the good guys and bad guys than by simply saying it's complicated. It's complicated. Those Southerners, the pro-slavery Southerners, you know what percentage of people in the South own slaves? Less than 2%. We like to picture it, right? I've done the same. You learn about the Civil War and the the racist scumbag southerners. And and, and they were just a bunch of poor farm boys for the most part. The northerners, right? St. Abe Lincoln. All about freedom. We are going to liberate the black man. Abe Lincoln was an abolitionist, but he fought the Civil War because they seceded, not because of slavery. Hang on. It's... complicated.
0: The Jesse Kelly Show.
2: It's complicated. It's always complicated. Anyway, back to my Missouri comp- compromise line. Eventually, they came up with a compromise because, you know, you can add this state, but you better add that state. We added Maine to the Union, and the South was like, whoa, we're not going to get voted out because you're adding a bunch of anti-slavery states. We need a state, too. Give The South state. That's how it worked. And during that compromise, we came up with another compromise. And this was set in stone. This was, you know, this is basically law. It was the 3630 parallel, and it was the Missouri Compromise Line. And it said, hey, anything north of this line in America is going to be anti slavery. Anything south, you'd be pro slavery. Not exactly a wonderful setup if you're a freaking slave getting whipped every day, but we were trying to navigate our way through it and these were what's that word i keep using today complicated times which brings us to kansas and the kansas nebraska act the kansas nebraska act was essentially this if people ask you how did the civil war start well for one As you can probably tell, especially if you listen to my show every day, history is a bit muddled. Everything runs together. When did something start and when did something stop? There are a million and one answers for when anything started and when it actually stopped. Did World War II actually stop? We kept fighting one of our worst enemies and, frankly, still are to this day. When did it start? Civil War. Did it start at Fort Sumter? I always say it started with the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which essentially said, all right, that Missouri compromise line, it's kind of gone. And this new state of Kansas we have, you know what? We don't need to decide now federally whether it's going to be a pro-slave state or anti-slave state, let's just make Kansas a state, and we'll let them decide. Sounds totally fair, right? Remember? I mean, states' rights, you're all about them, aren't you? I certainly am. State can decide for themselves. Except that was going to be a problem. You see, now... You have decided that Kansas is going to tip the balance one way or the other for pro-slavery or anti-slavery, and people began to flock there. Anti-slavery, hardcore abolitionist people would flock there, trying to make sure they could vote in their state legislature. Pro-slavery people began to flock there, trying to vote in their state legislature. Now I know what you're thinking, Jesse! Well, obviously, the anti-slavery people, all those are the good guys. And the pro-slavery people are the bad guys. Well, in this case, you would kind of be right about the pro-slavery people. If you find yourself moving to Kansas specifically so you can own another human being like cattle, that's not necessarily a great moral position to be in. But back to the anti-slavery people, do you know what the majority of them were? Remember those St. Northerners, right? All of them abolitionists believing in the rights of the individual. Most of them were free soilers. A free soiler was somebody who didn't necessarily give a crap about slavery. They just feared, and rightly so, but they just feared large southern plantation owners would gobble up all the available land and they wouldn't have any. Again. It's complicated. And I'm sure you've heard the term if you don't already know where I'm going with this. All of this kicked off bleeding Kansas. Bleeding Kansas was terrible. It wasn't it wasn't, you know, tens of thousands of deaths like so many of the ancient battles and things we talk about on the show, but it was. American-on-American violence as they tried to decide who would rule that state. And there was all kinds of illegal voting. At one point, they took a census of 2,000 people. Well, the the census said, hey, we got 2,000 voters here. And then they had an election to decide the state legislature, and 6,000 votes rolled in. People would cross the borders on both sides and vote. Much easier to vote illegally back then. And, those, and the Southerners, those dirty Nazi Confederates, right? They had all these, quote, bad guys, like Quantrell. You've probably heard of Quantrell's Raiders. That's where Jesse James learned to fight. He would ride in and rob people and murder people on behalf of the South, those dirty Southern murderers. Except the North did it, too. You know the Kansas, University of Kansas, you know what their mascot is, Chris? It's called the Jayhawk. Do you know where they got that term from Jayhawkers? They were the anti-slavery Northerners who robbed and murdered and stole. Do you remember when we talked in the very, very beginning about a man who snuck through the woods and dragged a father and sons out of his home in front of his screaming, crying wife and slit their throats in the woods with swords? That man was a northerner. That man was John Brown. That man, in case you don't know who John Brown is, is the most famous abolitionist of all time. Not long after this, he actually led what he thought was going to be a big expedition down south to free the slaves. Failed horrifically, but the man is a legend to this day. Frederick Douglass himself practically worshipped John Brown for his commitment to freeing the slaves. But John Brown yanked some people out of the home and slit their throats in the middle of the night. It's complicated. You remember the senator I told you about? The guy who stood up in front of someone else and mocked the old man who had a stroke and couldn't speak? Well, the guy doing the mocking, his name was Charles Sumner in the United States Senator, and he was a hardcore abolitionist who wanted the slaves free. And the man he was mocking, his name was Andrew Butler, a fellow senator from South Carolina. And he was pro-slavery. Just got more complicated, didn't it? Well, I mean, we can mock Southerners. We can mock pro-slavery, guys. Quick side note on that. You've probably heard of it. If not, you will now. Andrew Butler, the old man with a stroke, who got made fun of on the Senate floor. Yeah, he had a cousin whose name was Preston Brooks. He was a U.S. congressman, also from the South, obviously. He tracked down Charles Sumner at his desk a few days later and almost beat him to death with a cane. He beat him so badly, he broke the cane. He then essentially resigns, goes back and says, I'll stand before the people of my district to see whether they support me or not. He was not only reelected overwhelmingly, they mailed him over a hundred canes to replace the one he beat the other one with. Complicated enough for you yet? Remember the Mexican army analogy I did? Do you know... What they said, at least one Southerner in Tennessee said, as the Northern Army invaded, he's not some slave owner. He can't doesn't know anything about the Constitution, and he dang sure doesn't own a black person or really anything else. And they capture this Confederate soldier, and they asked him, dude, what are you doing fighting for this? You don't know anything about states' rights or anything, like that or slaves. You don't know. What, what are you doing fighting out here? And they looked at him right in the eye and said, plain as day, well, you're down here. You invaded my place. I didn't come to your place. Remember something. This is just one tiny example of a million in that war and of a trillion throughout history. Remember something. It's very rarely black and white. It's complicated. Angels and demons, good and bad, remember something. Remember this as we go through a pandemic, this recession, depression, whatever it is we're about to tackle as we go through all these things. The reason I love history so much, well, a couple reasons. One of the reasons I love history so much is Look, the stories are amazing. Are these not amazing stories? Two, I like to feel like I'm wiser today than I was yesterday. And whenever I feel like I've learned something else, I like that. And three, because it all ties into today. Either directly or with a lesson you can learn because... As the good book says, there is nothing new under the sun. And as I say that, let me say this. Even today, the good guys and bad guys, it's complicated. We haven't come out of that. We haven't advanced past that period of time where human beings are complicated and causes are complicated. I'll mean, back to the question I asked you at the very beginning. Is it the cause or the things you do in the name of the cause? Do you have a good answer for that? Because everybody thinks they do right off the bat until you get into it, right? When you ask somebody, are you pro or anti-slavery? Lord willing, the answer is, uh, I'm anti-slavery. Would you ask somebody if it's okay to drag an innocent father and sons out of their home in front of their wife and slit their throats in the name of being anti-slavery? It gets a little more complicated, does it not? I would never want to be one of the pro-slavery guys, bunch of Nazis. Well, yeah, I would like that very much to not be my legacy either, but... What uniform would I be wearing if a foreign army was invading my, what they considered to be countries back then? Understand that, right? It's complicated. They viewed states' rights as everything back then. And yes, there were a bunch of people. It's really a crock of crap. All the rich people in the South, all the slave owners, they tossed all the poor farm guys who never would own a slave in their lives out there to the the wolves. And they did the same thing in the North, scumbags. They, they came up with a draft because they needed more people in the North. You could actually buy your way out of it. I don't mean as a bribe. I mean, you could just simply walk down to the recruiting office and hand them a check and be like, yeah, I'm out. Pick someone else. And they would. they turn around and pick someone else who couldn't afford to buy their way out of it. They actually had a saying saying it was a rich man's war and a poor man's fight. The poor just got crapped on. And that, whole th- and that whole thing. It's complicated. Remember St. Abe Lincoln? You know, we all talk about Lincoln, right? Gettysburg Address, the abolitionist, the reason the slaves are free. Ah, Do you know at one point in time, he vocally, very vocally told the southern states, look, I don't believe in slavery, but you can all keep your slaves. I don't care. Just come back to the Union. Never learned about that in school, did you? I'm not making that up. That's real. People were complicated. So when I, where all this is coming from, is I opened up my email inbox this morning. You could, you guys, all the way. By the way, you can always write me, Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, I read them all. I read every single one of them. I get way too many to respond, but I read all of them. Or you can call here, you can call right now, 877 377 But my inbox this morning was filled with people who are angry at Trump, frustrated with Trump. I'm going to stay home, I'm going to vote Democrat, I'm going to vote third party, all these other things. And I am not here to tell you what to do with your vote or your life. I will tell you, I think that's insane. I, better, for better or worse, do not feel like we have options. As of right now, we have a two-party system, and Democrats are insane. And we can't have Democrats, let alone President Pudding Brain, taking over at a time where we have an economic crisis on our hands. We just can't. However, I will just say this, because it's been shocking to me how my inbox has changed from pro-Trump this, Trump, 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 to what's he doing? What's he thinking? He's been fooled. Where's he, Where have we lost him? We didn't lose him. Remember this. Remember this well. He's just a man. He's just a dude. And while I think he made maybe the biggest mistake in presidential history, I do. I I, look. I told you. I voted for him. I'm going to vote for him again enthusiastically. I'm going to tell you to do the same. But let's be honest. Closing down America for two months very well may go down as the biggest mistake in presidential history. However, hasn't he done other great things? Lots of them. I'm not. As you've heard, I've been very, very critical. I have no problem being critical. I'm not here to wave his pom-poms, but do you want to be judged by your worst moment? I mean, I have some bad moments, people. Trust me. If you knew about all my low ones, you'd be horrified. I I would rather, rather not be judged by those probably not fair to say you're your your best moments. It's probably not fair to say you're your worst moments. We are going to need to accept the fact that politics sucks and that people are good and bad and that come November we are going to have to figure out a solution we can live with. And that solution can be Biden. I mean, it can be Biden. Do you want that? Or it can be Donald Trump. Or you can vote for Justin Amash. (laughs) This freaking guy. Did you see this, Chris? (laughs) For those of you not aware, Justin Amash is a congressman out of Michigan. He was a Republican. He's a real, I actually liked this about him. He's not afraid to tell leadership to go screw themselves. In fact, he pretty much made a living at it for a long time, and that's fine. I like rebels like that. I like people who are willing to swim against the tide. I think it's cool. I've always liked it. And then he became this hardcore anti-Trump dude. My issue with a Mash was a Mash really has been one of the libertarian Republican types, which uh, that's not my issue. I I mean that's you'd say I probably fall in that in that category. Maybe more anarchist. But that's another story. And then he just became this rabid anti-Trump hater. And now he announced yesterday he's launching an exploratory committee for libertarian. Which, let me explain something to all of you. Before I get into how hilarious that is that he's running as a libertarian. Exploratory committee. It's the anti-Jesse Kelly. As you all know. As has been, has well been established, for better, and oftentimes very much for worse, I do not test the waters <laughs> with anything in life. Oh, crap. We're about out of time. I'm getting the handle on these breaks things. Shut up, Chris. I'm working on it. We're nationally syndicated now. I can do whatever I want. I'm like a king. Hang on. <laughs>
0: You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome.
2: Again, I have a long... Really kind of a spotty record of history of diving all in when I do something. That's just my personality. I wouldn't necessarily recommend you do that. (laughs) Man, has that resulted in some really ugly failure. (laughs) But still, it's been a lot of fun. Been a lot of fun. But exploratory committee, I'm not going to spend more than another 30 seconds on Justin Amash. I hate when these guys do that. Run or don't run, bro. Nobody's begging you to run. These politicians all do this. Oh, I'm not gonna run. All right, I'm thinking about running. I'll 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 do an exploratory committee. All right, look, the people have spoken. I guess I'll run why do they always have to be the chick playing hard to get? Dude, run or don't run, bro. Honestly. Nobody cares. Absolutely nobody cares. But setting the Amash thing aside, understand that politics, there's a lot of money and fame in it. There is. I know that's not exactly shocking news, but so many of these people you see running for office or in office already, they were lifelong dorks And this is the way to get famous and powerful. In fact, I would argue and have argued several times. That's why you see so many of the worst lockdowns from mayors. It's not because the mayor's trying to keep their town safe. Do you know what it's like to actually be mayor? Especially if it's not a major city. It sucks. You have to suck up to every business around town especially if you're a Democrat, not that Republicans are that much better, but you have to go around and pander to everybody underneath the sun. Oh, well, who are we talking to today? Oh, today we're going to the black neighborhood. Okay, I better put my hot sauce in my pocket like Hillary Clinton. Oh, where are we going today? Oh, Today we're going to, Jew- to the Jewish part of town. Mazel tov. It's, it's awful. The pandering that mayors do in this country is despicable. So that's your life as an adult is pandering, asking people for money. You finally get elected mayor. You still have a city council to deal with. You don't actually make that much money unless you count all the slush funds these mayors have. And finally, finally, after a life of being a dork and asking people for money and kissing everyone's rear end, coronavirus rolls rolls along and they hand you the keys to a kingdom. Well, yeah, you're the mayor of of Sheboygan, but guess what? You are the freaking king now of Sheboygan. Get back in your home. You will wear a mask or we will have you arrested. (laughs) These people, man, and it's so clear. It's so obvious to anybody paying attention. They're getting off on this. They're getting off on the power of it. One, two, they're not going to want to give that power back. Three, none of these people were living by the rules they're telling you to live by. None of them. You see this mayor in Beaumont, Chris? Right here. Now, I realize we're nationwide now because we're so famous and awesome. This is who we are, Chris. Very important people who are absolutely not in sweatpants right now. But this mayor of Beaumont, we're down here in the Houston area. The Beaumont's the, our area, all right. It's just, it's not a, it's certainly not a tiny town. I wouldn't get, Chris, how big is Beaumont? See how many people are in Beaumont. I have, what is it, 20, 30,000? About that. I don't know whether you consider that a tiny town. I do not because I grew up in Boza, Montana, and that was one of the biggest cities in the country, in the, in the state. But this mayor, Mayor Becky Ames of Beaumont, Texas, issues all these social distancing guidelines. And she had told people, you have to do this and you have to do that. She has now apologized after she was photographed walking into a nail salon that was supposed to be closed due to ongoing stay-at-home policies. 120,000 people in Beaumont. Chris is an idiot. 30,000, you moron. Of course, she issues an apology. "Quote: I did not intend to take personal privilege while asking others for, to sacrifice, and for that, I'm truly remorseful." Why do these people do these apologies, Chris? Is that effective to edit? What do you? What does that mean? I did not. Uh, I did not intend to take personal. Well, what? What did you intend? I I would love to sit down with them because you can't ever do this, you know. Right? I would love to sit down with them and ask these questions. Okay, so hold on. You ordered the nail salons to close and then very clearly called either a friend or someone you knew who owned the hair salon and told them to open up so you could get your nails done. I mean, you weren't just walking down the sidewalk and, oh, I tripped and fell. Oh, the nail salon door was open. Oh, I fell in here. Oh, no, she's dragging me to the chair to do my nails. This wasn't what I intended at all. <laughs> I mean, what does that mean? I did not intend. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, yes, you you very much did intend. And you know what I want, Chris? I want some, well, I'll put it this way. I'm about to be very frank about what I want. And it may not be the nicest thing, but it would be freaking awesome. Hang on. ways to say this everybody has their own way of saying it and everyone acts like they came up with the idea Game of Thrones had a great way to say it it said people often claim to hunger for the truth but seldom like the taste when it's served up and uh, look it's not exactly unique to Game of Thrones everybody has that saying in the world one way or another I've always thought it would be really really funny and really cool To have a politician who genuinely did not care and told you the honest truth about what they think about you, about what they think about their scandals, about what they think about the things they just did. I've always thought it would be refreshing. I would love it. That politician would never get reelected because, let's be honest, most of us really, really don't want the truth. We want people to tell us everything's going to be okay and I'm going to take care of you. But I was thinking about this mayor and I was thinking about Vice President Pence when he got busted without the mask yesterday in the Mayo Clinic. And I have an idea, Chris. Hang go.
0: jesse kelly show this is the jesse kelly show
2: tell me chris Tell me it wouldn't be entertaining to have a politician just be honest with you. Like this Becky Ames of Beaumont shuts everything down. Everyone go home. Be safe. No, you can't go outside. Well, let me be clear. You can't go outside. In fact, I, as the mayor, Mayor Becky, I look very forward to being outside without you being outside. This will give me the privacy I want. None of you obnoxious citizens will come up and try to talk to me because I really don't care about your concerns. Plus, I've already gotten a hold of the local nail salon, and they're, because I'm the mayor, they're super worried about me cracking down on them or something. So they're going to open up for me and do my nails. And now I don't have to be around any of you peasants while I get my nails done. It's going to be legit. I may run down to Red Lobster afterwards and have them make a meal too. Wouldn't that be sweet though, Chris? And you know what? She'd be nationally famous. No, I, you know why I did it? Do you know why I opened up the nail salon? Because I'm the mayor. And as the mayor, I like to embrace my power and stomp on you. What's that, Chris? Chris Christie shut down the beaches. <laughs> then headed out to the beach with the lawn chair. <laughs> Mike Pence yesterday. By the way, I should mention, look at us coming up in the world. We have Mike Pence's daughter on the show today. Don't ask how, Chris. Don't ask my high-level connections. Everybody wants to know. How this white trash kid from Ohio got so important and huge. Look, I can't break it all down for you, mainly because I don't know (laughs) either way. So Pence yesterday, he goes to visit the Mayo Clinic. Mayo Clinic, as you know, they do amazing stuff there. It's one of these great medical clinics. Mayo Clinic, I guess, has a policy where you have to wear a mask. Now, he's the vice president. And as Pence came out and said later, because Pence is like the nicest human being on the face of the planet, he came out and said, look, I get tested all the time because I'm the vice president. Believe me when I tell you, I don't have coronavirus. I am the most, te- and he should be, he's vice president and president. Those guys should be getting tested out the wazoo, which I wonder now that I think about that, Chris, have you ever seen the coronavirus test and what they do? You've never seen it? Oh my goodness, you've never seen it. You idiot. All right, hold on a second. Understand, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, okay? I'm trying to be as accurate as humanly possible. They take a Q-tip. Well, it's the end of a Q-tip, and it's on the end of a long, I would guess, gosh, looking, thinking about the videos, I would say it's at the end of a 8- or 9-inch stick, wooden stick. They shove it up your nose and when I say shove it up your nose, I do not mean this goes an inch or two into the nostril. You are now going to look this up. In fact, Chris, make sure you put this on our Twitter page, at Jesse Kelly Show. The Twitter page for, uh, for the show is at Jesse Kelly Show. My own personal one's at Jesse Kelly DC. Put this on a Twitter page. When I say shove this up your nose, they they actually call it, the nurses and doctors I know, they call it tickling the brain. Chris, when you look at this, you are going to dry heave on air. Chris is looking it up right now because he's immature. It's six, seven, eight inches deep. Chris, tell me, look at the video again. Chris just audibly gassed in the studio. How deep would you say that that stick is, Chris? As deep as your ear? It looks like it. It does. It looks. When you see how deep it goes in? Unless you are one of these people who knows anatomy and knows that kind of stuff, you are going to be legitimately shocked anything goes that deep. Quit, Chris. Grow up. You're going to be shocked anything grows that deep. And there are videos around of it. If you have a weak stomach, don't look at it. But long story short, this is not a pleasant experience. And you can see videos of people getting it done. And it's not... They're not enjoying the process, okay? So when Vice President Mike Pence says he gets tested all the time, surely they have a different test than that for the Vice President, right? Tell me we are not Q-tip waterboarding the Vice President of the United States multiple times. I hope he has a better test than that. (laughs) Anyway, Pence does this Mayo Clinic tour. He's all over the video on this thing. Because he's the vice president, he's on videotape all over the place, not in a mask. And he has to put out this statement, I'm tested all the time, so on and so forth. And it was one of those moments, Chris, where I just wanted him to be brutally honest. And I thought it would have been sweet. I realize you can't do that, especially when you're the vice president. You can't do it really as the president. But I wanted him to come out and say, you know what? I understand their policy is a mask. Screw your mask. I'm the Vice President of the United States. I'm not wearing a mask because I don't have to wear a mask. And if you try to physically make me wear a mask, these Secret Service guys are going to beat you into a fine powder right here in front of me. I'm basically untouchable now. Open up your hospital doors. Be kind of awesome, right? I mean, a little tyrannical, maybe. but Kind of awesome. Only a little. Oh, did I tell you? I think we're out on the dog for now. Remember we had the long dog talk yesterday. Somebody sent in a hilarious email about labradoodles. Only I mean, this one wasn't a labradoodle. Remember they were, I was getting the long face about a golden doodle, but some dude sent in an email about some guys labradoodle peeing himself all the time and stuff. Told me not to get one. It was hilarious. If that was you, I cracked up. Just know that I absolutely cracked up when I read it, but we sat down last night and we decided it's just not time yet. Plus, I decided it would be awesome and hilarious to go tell the boys now that we were actually thinking about getting a dog, and now we're not. (laughs) What, Chris? You got to toughen them up. The dog would probably do a face plant like that one dog at the RV dealership. You remember that story? Oh, gosh. Let me tell you that story. Now, selling RVs, which you know I did for a long time, three, four, five years, something like that. I don't keep track of time. Selling RVs was an eye-opening experience. I have always said, and I maintain to this day, I think that everybody at one point in their life, preferably when they're younger, but at one point in their life should either wait tables or sell retail of some kind. You may not enjoy it. You may love it. But it is an, it is a wonderful education on other people, how to hold a conversation, human nature, dead giveaways, things like that. On top of things, look, I know a lot of people are economically hurting right there, out here right now. Understand this. If, and this is a big if, this is not for everybody, but if that life is for you, if that sales life is for you, if you if you can do the the, the small talk, if you're big on that, if you're disciplined enough for for follow-ups and things like that, if, you're, if you can do the sales life, if you can deal with the uncertainty, that's the problem, Chris. A lot of people can't deal with the uncertainty of working on 100% commission. I sell something or I don't pay my mortgage. If you can deal with these things, though, you can have a really great life, income-wise. I mean, shoot, not just income, but lifestyle-wise. I know RV dealerships out there, Where people wear shorts to work. Where even the relatively dressed up attire is tennis shoes and khakis and a short sleeve shirt. You're going to put in the hours, mind you, but you're not working 80 hours a week. And these guys, the salesmen, I'm not even talking about the managers, the salesmen. Six figures. All of them. I knew one shop that had like 10 dudes. If you made under six figures, you got fired because that meant you weren't any good. Like, that was the norm. Hang on. I'll tell my dog story. I'm just not a bean guy. I realized that I switched conversations during the break, and you now have no idea what I'm talking about. But you need to learn to be lighter on your feet when you listen to this show. I'm going to get back to my RV story in just a second. This is producer Chris's fault. He distracted me. He brought up beans. Are beans big in the Jewish diet, Chris? You people eat beans? I don't think you people eat beans. I don't think I my buddies have never served me beans on one of the the Jewish feast things. I don't think it's part of your diet at all. It is? Whatever. Is there a Jewish kind of bean? Probably don't need to touch that, do we, Chris? All right, now never mind. But I'm not a I I hate beans. Hate them. I, in all kinds. Green beans, lima beans, kidney beans. I and Let me explain something to all of you. I know this is going to hit you hard, especially you moms out there. But understand this is a fact. I can speak personally about it. I can also tell you about my kids. Some of these foods you want your children to eat. And you insist that your children eat. Some of these foods, there is a genetic rejection of these foods. They actually say that's a scientific fact when it comes to cilantro. I'm one of the people out there who I hate cilantro. As soon as it's in something, it overpowers everything. I feel like it tastes like dish soap. It's disgusting. But look it up, Chris. I'm serious. It's genetic. Like 10% of the population feels like me and the rest is like, oh, it's great. I don't taste that at all. It's just how your tongue works. When it comes to things like lima beans, my folks, I mean, look, I had old school folks, period. It was sit down. This is the only food we have. Sit down and eat. Yes, you're eating your vegetables too. Yes, you're eating your lima beans. And because I, I know you're going to find this shocking, I'm maybe a little bit hard-headed, they would make me sit at the table until bedtime or eat my food, and I would sit there all night. I would sit there all night. Fine, I'll sit here for five hours. I've got my imagination. I don't need you here at all. <laughs> But on the times where they would actually make me eat them, more than once, I can remember this, I would throw up back onto the plate. It was that gross to me. And people who like vegetables or who don't have that kind of aversion, they don't understand it. Like, I have an oldest son, and he is a vegetable beast. He will ask for second helpings of broccoli. Beans. You know, I'm not kidding. He asked for second helpings of broccoli. He'll lay waste to mountains of it. If I even smell broccoli, I don't want to eat dinner anymore. My youngest son, very much like me, we have done that thing. And I, we even did it to him one time in his life where we made him sit there or eat, you know, sit there all night. He sat there just like I did all night long. And I have seen him not throw up, mind you. But I have seen him try to gut down certain vegetables, and I've watched him dry heave at the table. So you can get mad at me all you want. You cannot believe me. I am telling you from personal experience, both for myself and my son, some people cannot handle certain foods genetically. Shut up, Chris. I'm telling you this is genetic. We need a doctor on or somebody. Jesse at jessikellyshow.com or call us. 877 three, seven, seven, four, three, seven, three. I think this is a tongue thing. I think you are born with certain kinds of a tongue, Chris. Anyway, back to my RV story. Oh, Oh, no, I was talking about beans. Don't distract me. So Chris asked about refried beans. I don't know. Are we still considering refried beans? Beans. You have mashed them up into a smoothie and don't they put all kinds of extra ingredients and things like that in them? Beans and lard? Well, you added lard, Chris. You added lard like we're all doing right now during the quarantine. (laughs) All right. He asked about refried beans and burritos and such. Like I've always taught you about foods, it's all about the ratios. Everything's about the proportion. I don't mind refried beans in a burrito. But here's the issue. A restaurant, restaurants are businesses like any other. Restaurants need to make money. Many restaurants do not make their money by giving you more of the expensive foods and less of the less expensive foods. Why do you think every single time you've ever ordered, you know, the mixed fruit, ever order the mixed food in a restaurant? What do you get? You get a half a strawberry, two blueberries, if you're lucky, a grape, and nine pounds of melon. Why do you think that is? The melon doesn't cost anything. The rest of the stuff is expensive. That's why your mixed fruit sucks. That's why I don't get refried beans in my burrito. Conceptually, yes, I wouldn't mind refried beans in my burrito. If you could put a little dab, a little streak, mind you, of refried beans in the burrito. But they don't do that, do they, Chris? No, don't say a Taco Bell they do. Even my beloved Taco Bell, because that's the last place I went and had refried beans. And I forget exactly what the burrito was. I had nine pounds of refried beans in the burrito and like a little ounce of meat and cheese. Don't sell me on this beefy five-layer burrito again, Chris, not after what you did with the mini tacos at Jack in the Box. You violated trust. You violated trust. Now, you can say all you want about how they didn't give me the loaded ones and whatnot. We got the loaded ones the next day, and they still weren't as good as advertised. They were good, but they weren't as good as advertised. And I like Jack in the Box. I'm not here to criticize a high-quality establishment like that. But that's where I stand on beans. That's why I never get the refried beans in the burrito, because I know you're going to screw me, because I know the refried beans are cheap. Back to my RV story. You can make really good money in sales, selling cars, selling RVs, full disclosure. While I was more than capable of it, they promoted me to sales manager after a year. I mean, I, I could do it. I was, I mean, hey, I got a couple plaques on the wall, Chris, a couple couple top 10 salesman plaques on the wall. It wore on me quickly. And it wasn't the average everyday customer. It was the 10% that always wear on you. The guy who comes on the lot. Here you are a salesman. You have to make a sale. Or you're not going to pay your bills. And the guy comes on the lot and wants to take three hours of your time taking a tour of every RV, and he might buy in a couple years, you want to strangle that guy. I can't do that with that guy anymore. But I digress. So one day, we are out there, and I'm having a bad month. For some reason, months, I was a very streaky salesman. Overall, I was good, but very, very streaky. When I got the hot hand, man, I would kill it. I could sell four or five in a day. I'd just be churning around. It. it was like nothing you've ever seen. And then I would hit these cold streaks. And the problem I had really was my attitude. When I got the hot hand, it's like when you're out picking up chicks when you're younger. As soon as you nail, as soon as you know, as soon as you got that number, well, now you're, you're king dog, right? Now you're going to go score another number and you're going to get another number. Now you got dates lined up all week long because you got confidence. Chicks love that. However, if you're in a slump, then, you're at a, then your attitude starts to suck. Now you're losing confidence. Now you're kind of sheepish. Now you're kind of standoffish. Now you're kind of bitter. Ah, oh, She rejected me. Must be a lesbian. No, it's it's you. You're lacking confidence. And it's tough to get that. You have to learn at all times to fake having confidence. That's how life works. Same thing in sales. Confidence is everything. Once you hit a hot streak, you're rolling. Once you're in a slump, It's no different than no different than attending a feminist rally. Sometimes you need a slump buster. Hang on. culture a cancel culture that is ugly i'm glad people were finally starting to fight back against this kind of shame culture and cancel culture and our next guest author natasha Tynes, boy did she get the full brunt of the cancel shame culture that we have out there but i'm not going to tell her tale i will let her tell it. natasha first of all before we get to what happened give us your background what's your story
3: Sure. Um, First, hi. Thank you for having me. Uh, So my story happened last year uh, on May 10th of last year. Uh, I was on my way to work and I took the DC Metro to work. And while I was on the Metro, um, I saw a a Metro employee in uniform eating on the train, which is against the rules. Um, And if you live in DC, it's part of the dc culture everyone knows that you cannot eat on the train uh you know there were stories of people getting arrested for eating a french fry uh, i remember once i even had a banana it was not even inside the train i was on the platform and i was asked to throw it in the trash
2: so uh, I, hold I was on hold eating. on before we before we go on here why are they so emphatic about eating on a tra- do you know where that came from or is that just a thing
3: Why? I think the reason you're not allowed to eat on the metro is to keep it clean, to keep rodents away, like, you know, rats and mice. You basically don't want it to turn into the New York uh, metro. Um, So, I mean, that's my understanding is the rationale is to keep it clean. So you're not allowed to eat or drink on the D.C. metro. So... That day, uh, when I, when I saw the the metro employee in who was in uniform eating a full meal um, during the morning rush hour, I was really surprised, and I actually talked to her, and uh, you know she, she told me to worry about myself, and I felt compelled uh, to report what I saw, and I took a picture and tweeted about what happened and my intention was to expose the hypocrisy of the metro and if you live in the DC metro area that's part of the, the DC culture we always complain about the DC metro mm-hmm. so that's that's really what happened and in, in retrospect I you know I shouldn't have taken her picture I should have used a more private manner of reporting this
2: Okay, and you took her picture, you put it out there. What happened after that?
3: Basically, hell broke loose. I, I started uh, getting all these uh, angry tweets and messages and huge influencers, uh, mostly from a community called The Black Twitter, which I was not familiar with. Uh, they started uh, calling me racist, racist, uh, uh, calling me, you know, names I cannot say on radio now. So and uh, they started tweeting at my um, em- employer at the time and my publisher and um, and eventually after these thousands and thousands of these messages and hate messages and death threats, um, the same day my publisher uh decided to
2: cancel hold, on, my hold on hold on you got death
3: threats i of course yeah i got a number of death threats i uh you know and i also ironically i got racist uh comments uh, uh targeted towards me so i was called you know i'm originally from the middle east from jordan and uh you know i was you know, the, the death threats were like, you know, you should be killed in the street. Um, they, um, you know, that one of them is like, we know where you work. We know where you are. We're going to come after you. And then other other people, you know, came after my ethnicity and they started telling me, um, you know, you're a terrorist. Uh, you go back to where you come from. Um, desert dweller, you're a, a haji, you're um, Hezbollah, you're Hamas. You know, they, so, <laughs> you know, the irony. And so after all of this, uh, my publisher, who was about to publish my debut uh, novel uh, the same day issued a statement saying they're not gonna be publishing oh. the, the novel anymore and accused me of systematic racism and
2: um, wait wait, wait, your so publisher accused you of anti-Semitism? Of, no of systematic racism uh, why for for a picture was the per- I'm guessing the picture of the person you took with, I guess they were black, and your own publisher accused you of, of, of being a racist?
3: Yes, uh, and I never mentioned the race of the of the Metro employee. Uh, you know, if if you're familiar with, the, with D.C., I mean, it's a very multicultural society, so I mean, honestly, I mean, really race was the last thing on my mind. Uh, you know, I'm a Myself, I'm not white, and you know, I was just commenting about the employee, I never mentioned the race or anything like that. So, um, so I think you know what happened to the publisher, he just caved in to the angry mob, uh, that twisted all these facts and you know put all these lies about me.
2: Now, where are you now? You're obviously fighting back, right?
3: Yeah. So the latest update is that I got a new publisher uh, a year after what happened, and it's um, the publisher is based in Texas, they're uh, they're amazing publisher, they're called Rebellar. Um and uh, so my book was officially announced, um, the publishing of uh, my book, the republishing of my book was announced two days ago. and. Um, I'm happy now that there's a happy ending a, a year later because really my life was um, ruined oh. after what happened. Um, you know, I had to leave the country because uh, the death threats, reporters were camped in front of my house. I was, you wait, know, wait, wait, wait. They
2: I, came in front of your house? How did they find out where you lived?
3: The reporters? Yeah. Um, uh I it's I think it's easy to find somebody's address uh, online if you know if if you dig deeper you can find it and um, and I was also worried about my children I have three kids because you know the 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 online mob came after my kids as well. Uh. Uh, which which is awful. Um, and so I, I, I left the country. Uh, I went back to my hometown of, of Jordan um, to just escape the angry mob. And and it affected me really mentally. I remember the day it happened, I was hospitalized because I had a, some sort of a, a nervous breakdown. Wow. And uh, I was put on admin leave, and... Um, from work, and uh, my book was canceled. My reputation was ruined. Um, <clears throat> right. I had to deal with, well, with lots of mental health issues as well. well.
2: It, it was well. You're but, back now, Natasha. Tell people about this book really quick. We got to let you go here in about thirty seconds.
3: Sure. Uh, so the book is a murder mystery set between Jordan and the U.S. and it tells the, the story of um, a, a, a Jordanian woman who lives in the U.S. She gets. Killed, and then she gets reincarnated in the body of a three year old boy uh, who has speech difficulties. And then she tries to solve her own murder through by using uh, that three year old by using the body of that three year old boy.
2: How about that? All right, Natasha, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Natasha Tynes, what's the name of the book?
3: Uh, They Called Me Wyatt.
2: They Called Me Wyatt. Appreciate you very much. Thank you for joining us today cancel culture dude it is it is amazing out there what what kind of power social media has acquired over the years you know what's nice chris not caring about any of that <laughs>
0: Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show.
2: Chris just informed me because we're having some bad weather down here that if we lose power in the building which has happened before that I will have to switch microphones in the middle of the show and move three feet to my left to this other microphone and you know what I just told Chris (laughs) I can do that with my eyes closed you see not anybody I understand a lot of you have skills. Not anybody can roll their chair three feet to the left and talk into a different microphone than they were talking into the second before. But me, (laughs) I'll tell you what, multi-talented, multi-talented. What, Chris? Some of us are legends. Back to my RV story. RV lot. Now, I need to drive this home. I need to drive home this point. When you make a living in sales, you pay your bills on selling things. It is not for everyone. And it can be extremely stressful. I don't have to educate a lot of you on... Stress about bills right now, especially going through what so many people are going through. You know what I'm talking about, but, oh, let's see here. We have, hmm, we have a $2,000 credit card bill. When does it do? What's it today's, today's what April 29th? Okay. Uh, two, $2,000. Uh, I don't have any sales pending. I, I don't have any sales pending. What, when's that credit card bill due? Oh, uh, May fifth. Okay. How's your day when you pull into work that day? And that's one tiny example. Mortgage, grocery bills, insurance bills, cell phone bills. Your life is based on selling things. I'm not complaining about it. It was a great living. I'm. I'm just telling you, that's different. There is no salary. There is no getting paid hourly. You sell or you starve. That creates some extremely stressful work situations. Does it make a little more sense now? That used car lot you pull into when you have five salesmen knocking on your driver's side window the second you pull in, begging to escort you around the lot? It's not because the guy was born pushy. The guy eats on you buying And let me reinforce this fact, because I was like this before I was ever in sales. I realized that you should attempt to be conscientious as well. I'm not telling you never save money or anything like that, but understand if some salesman at an RV lot, boat lot, car lot, whatever you go to, if he takes time with you, shows you the ropes, show you different things, maybe... Maybe do that guy the honor of trying to buy from him if it works out, price works out and everything. That's how that guy eats. You can dislike how that guy eats, but that's how you learn about the boats and RVs and cars. That's how he eats. But I digress. So we are, this is back when I'm selling RVs. I'm having, remember, I'm a streaky salesman, hot or cold, and I am ice cold absolutely ice cold. I can't buy a sale. Once again, bills are piling up. Oh gosh. What are we going to do here? I get this couple, this couple drives on the lot and they have a great look right off the bat. Now I, I, I know what you're asking, Jesse, what's a great look contrary to popular belief. No, I don't really necessarily want you driving in in a, $100,000 Mercedes. That guy oftentimes is not great to work with. That guy oftentimes actually has bad credit or isn't really a buyer or is rude. You know what you want? You don't want a jalopy. You don't want a $100,000 Mercedes. You want just a nice car. It drives up in a a Yukon, drives up in a, a Chevy Silverado, Ford F one fifty, nice looking sedan. Not a, not a Mercedes, but not you know not not some Kia. No offense to Kia, but that's not necessarily what you're looking for. You want them to pull up. You want them to get out, and you want them to be over forty. Don't get me wrong. I sold to plenty of people under forty. Under forty. I'm just telling you the life of in house salesman talk. I'm about to give it to you straight and understand, remember, this is not your mommy's show. I'm about to tell you some brutal truths. okay? Under 40 probably means young family, probably means money's a little tighter. If they have the credit built up, which is not always a guarantee because you need, for the most part, decent credit to buy an RV. There are other ways to do it. I don't want to go into all those, but... Probably means smaller family, probably means going to be buying a cheaper RV, and probably means because it's a cheaper RV, my commission is less. Yes, my commission is based on how much profit I make on the RVs. Now, the salesman oftentimes, most of the time, doesn't actually know how much profit there is. Just kind of a shadow game, but that's what it's based on. Hang on. Remember, I'm not going to get No, Chris, I'm not going to get distracted by the garlic bread discussion right now. We can address that in a little while. I will say, though, the person who said garlic bread is its own tier on the food pyramid is 100% correct. 100% correct. That's that's another man. So I'm having a rough time. Again, you don't necessarily want someone under 40. It's not the end of the world. You want a decent car. You kind of for the most part want a couple I've sold to plenty of individuals but an over 40 couple that pulls up in a decent car not a Mercedes not a jalopy a decent car that's right in that sweet spot of oh yeah probably empty nesters probably some disposable income almost undoubtedly some good credit at least before we wiped out the entire US economy over a virus don't get me started on that Okay, I like what we're doing here. You don't necessarily want a suit and tie. You know, we're down here in Houston. It may be different, but every every area has their own. Probably has a decent amount of money, dude. Casual wear down here. It's like Tommy Bahama shirts. If you guy gets out in a Tommy Bahama shirt, actually a decent chance. Got a little bit of money, maybe some credit, maybe pretty cool. And this couple gets out. And I know I've got a good one.
0: The Jesse Kelly Show. This is The Jesse
2: Kelly Show. Couple gets out, I need this sale, and they roll in. Dude's dressed nice, not too nice. She's dressed nice, not too nice. Car is nice, not too nice. You see where we're going here? Tale of Goldilocks, too hot, too cold. This one's just right. And they're just right. They walk in. Dude shakes my hand, looks me in the eye. Lady, shakes my hand, looks me in the eye. Jesse, why are you bringing that up? Allow me to explain something to you. And this is really going to chap some of you. But one, I don't care. Two, if it doesn't apply to you, then don't apply it to you. Credit score. Credit score can be something difficult for people to wrap their minds around. But let me tell you something, especially you kids out there who listen. Your credit score matters a lot in this life. A lot in this life. You want a good one. You very much do not want a bad one. If you have a bad one, maybe you made some mistakes Maybe you got screwed over. It has happened before. It certainly will happen again. Get it fixed. There are even great services out there that will help you get it fixed. Get your credit score fixed. It matters a lot. Also, if you sell RVs for a living as I did, well, it really matters. It matters for a couple different reasons. One, again, for the most part, there are a million and one exceptions to this. I'm not going into it. For the most part, you need decent credit, if not good credit, to buy an RV. If you don't have that, there are other routes you can take, but it's interest rates, and it's just a a huge nightmare. You want good credit for your sake and for my sake, because I can save you money on the RV. Because I'll find a bank, and there are several banks that will give out RV loans. I'll find a bank that will pay me money to send your loan to them. So if I have Tom's Bank over here and Al's Bank over here, and you've got great credit, shoot, I'll get them competing with each other. We'll give them a better rate. Jesse, we'll, we'll send your dealership an extra grand. I'm making up all these numbers, but you get what I'm saying? If they're paying me to send your loan that way, I can shave that money right off the cost of the RV. Everybody wins. Credit is huge in the RV sales business. And I can tell you pretty close what your credit score is about 30 seconds to a minute after meeting you. Without asking you a single question about your income, your bills, your anything. You are wrong. Yes, you've been wrong. You can be wrong. But you're not wrong that much. Or is that profiling? You bet it is. You bet. And you know what? No different than law enforcement, who profiles all the time. They do. You you can't advertise it. Even if they have, you know, these strict rules against it they've put out publicly. The mayor and police chief will stand side by side. We will not have that here. The guys who are actually out on the street, they're profiling. And they're not profiling because they're racist scumbags or because they're class scumbags. Oh, the poor people are getting to They're profiling because oftentimes their life depends on it. They are looking for specific things. I'm going to tell you a little secret here. It's going to get me in trouble. you ready for this? In any major city, you're never going to get a cop to admit this to you unless he trusts you and you're in a private setting. He won't even text you this information. Allow me to just tell you this for a fact. A cop in any major city in general can tell you the race of the person by the crime when it's announced over the radio. Uh, So-and-so busted for—and I'm making this up. This part I'm completely making up because I don't want to get anybody in trouble here. Uh, So-and-so busted for domestic abuse and meth. Oh, that's a white dude. So-and-so busted for uh, credit card fraud. Must be a Hispanic dude. And they know them. And I made up those crimes and their race associations because I'm not going to get any of my friends in trouble today. But they know them. Cops know, in general— Who does what based on the different things? They just do. Cops profile all the time. They always have. They always will. Trying to make their lives easier. Trying to stay alive. You're a salesman. Not necessarily racially. That would be really stupid if you're a salesman. Even if you were a racist piece of crap, it would cost you a lot of money. Not necessarily racially, but he is very much profiling you from the second he meets you. He is judging you. He is trying to figure out what you want. He's trying to figure out your credit score. And part of the reason I and any decent salesman can guess your credit score pretty close after we meet, it's you. It's your sense of your place in the world. Don't call here. I mean, Jesse, you don't understand. I got a divorce and she was a witch. I get that, buddy. Again, if it doesn't apply to you, don't apply it to you. Jesse, the government shut down my business and I'm bankrupt and he take my credit score. If it doesn't apply to you, don't apply it to you. But if I go greet someone at the door and that person says to me, I want to see some trailers. What's your cheapest one? That's a guy with a five or six hundred credit score who very likely cannot buy an RV, period. Hello, sir. What would you like? I just want to see some RVs. I don't want to bother with you. I just want to look. I don't want you trying to sell me something. I just want. That's the guy with a bad credit score. Interrupting me. Talking over me. Asking for the cheapest one. Not shaking my hand. Or you'll get this one. You get this one a lot with guys who come in with their wives or girlfriends. It's just natural. We peacock. That's what we do as dudes. Gets us in trouble all the time. I want to see an RV, and don't you dare try to rip me off because my brother sells RVs, and I know how to do this. Now you're going to have to deal with me. when we dude, just, just dial it down a notch, Rambo. It's, it's fine. That's very likely a guy who can't buy squat. You ever heard the phrase, rich is loud, wealth is quiet? Boy, do you notice that when you sell RVs. Some dude walks in. 50, 40, somewhere in that range, 60 years old, wife with him most likely, Tommy Bahama shirt, khaki shorts, cruises in. Hey, what's your name? I'm Jesse. Oh, nice. Uh, My name's Bill. Nice to meet you, Bill. Firm handshake, looky in the eye. Says something to you along the lines of, hey, man, I don't want to waste a bunch of your time. I'm just thinking about, I was thinking about looking for maybe a fifth wheel today. I don't I'm not really sure of price range yet. I just kind of want to make sure I have something that has a bigger kitchen because Sarah likes, oh, this guy has an 800 credit score. Comes in, polite, looks you in the eye, knows what he wants, has bothered to do even a slight amount of research before he walks onto the RV lot. This is a man with an 800 credit score who can buy anything he wants. Well, how do you know that, Jesse? You didn't ask him. I don't have to ask him squat. He's a man with an excellent, excellent idea of his place in the world, your place in the world, gets how you make a living, knows vaguely what he wants. It's a guy with a good credit score, and there's a reason you can tell. There's a reason you can tell. The guy who I ain't, I'm not paying my cell phone bill. They charged me two months, They charged me too much last month, so I I ain't I ain't paying it out of principle. Oh, well, that's 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 smart. That hundred bucks you just saved just dropped your credit score from 750 to 600, and it goes down again if that goes to a collection agency. Pay the stupid cell phone bill. Don't be an idiot. Hang on. These folks walk in, I like the look of them. Let's go sell some RVs. Let's go find them something. They seem like they are ready to buy. They want a really big, really nice RV. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, oh, thank you, Lord. Finally. You know, you know you got a good one. And when you know you got a good one, you can judge all you want. How You should treat everybody the same. Yeah, no. No, I'm not there for funsies. I'm not there as some charity. I'm there for money. I am there specifically because I have to feed my family and pay my bills. Period. That's why I'm there. I'm going to be as polite as humanly possible while I'm there. Because I take some pride in my work, I'm going to do the best I can while I'm there. But no, you are not all getting treated equally. And no, you're not all getting treated the same. Not by a country mile. These folks, however are going to get the red carpet treatment. Why? Because they are buyers, and buyers are how I make my living. Now, it's a long day with these people. I don't begrudge anybody that, especially when you're buying something expensive. Sometimes it takes multiple visits, which you don't necessarily want, but sometimes it just takes multiple hours. It doesn't matter. If you're looking, actively trying to find something you want to buy, large or small, man, I'm there with you. Let's, let's find you the right thing, get this thing done. Plus, as a salesman, I will tell you, it, it is creating, even if you, the customer, don't realize it, it is creating a sense of loyalty in the decent people anyway as I take this time with you. After a while, many decent people, I won't say most because that might not be true, will realize, man, this guy has put in some work. Let's make an extra effort tonight to buy from this guy. A decent human being thinks that way, especially once someone has told you about it, which I just did. Long story short, we finally find them the RV of their dreams. They take a million tours of it. They're going through it. They're opening up every cabinet, turning on all the lights. She is thrilled. Most of the time, the women don't necessarily pick out the RV, but they can dang sure veto the RV. You really want her on your side. If you're a dude selling RVs, butter her up. There's a reason you've seen female RV salesmen, and maybe you've seen a hot one or two. I don't know if I ever have. Why? Because women don't necessarily love their husbands dealing with hot RV salesmen women, so you'll see an older woman more responsible, more established, less of a threat. I'm, again, I realize none of this is PC. This is not your mommy's show. I'm telling you how it really works. Quick side note. Remember how I said profiling? Yeah, they have big glass windows on all the sales floors, car lots, RV lots, boat lots. The second you pull in the driveway, they are watching your vehicle. The second you get out of your vehicle, they are studying everything about you as you walk in. They are studying your walk. They are studying how you're interacting with the people around you. Are you smoking cigarettes? What kind of car do you drive? They are making judgments about your clothes, your car, everything, because their livelihood depends on it. They have had long discussions about you before you ever walk in the door. now back to these people we find them the perfect rv right chris it's perfect everything's good to go okay let's go back we'll do all the paperwork so we take off from the rv and again we're all good here we go back i have to get you know a good interest rate for them get all the paperwork printed out we're done right we are good to go I I get them approved at a bank, which was easy. They had all the down payment they needed. It was was a great deal. They were getting a great deal. I was going to come out of this thing doing just fine, too. Everybody was happy, and I mean everybody was happy. Now, when you buy an RV, you have to sign. It's no joke. I don't even know how much it is now. 30, 40 pieces of paper? You have to do that when you buy an RV. We get all the paperwork printed out. They're thrilled with all of it. Everything has come to an agreement. We sit down, and she says to him... And I forget the name of the dogs, but they had two dogs, two of them. You know what? I want the dogs to run through it really quick first. I want the, and and, you know, he kind of rolls his eyes. He gives me that side eye look like, oh gosh, bear with me here. All right, you know what? Let's let the dogs run through it before we get it. You know What's the harm, Chris? What could possibly go wrong by letting the dogs run through it? No big deal. What's one what of the, what is the dog going to walk in the RV and say, I don't like the color scheme. I mean, we're obviously fine. So I'm, of course I'm at this point, I am on cloud nine. And I, I mean, I'm slightly annoyed, but who cares? They're buying. It's no big deal. Crazy. wants what's let her dogs walk through, ain't no biggie. Let the dogs walk through. So we're like, all right, I'll, I, I tell them, all right, I'll meet you out there. We would, the lot was huge. So we would drive golf carts around it. Their dogs had been in the car the whole time. They'd left the car on. They kept checking on them. You know, they were taking good care of the dogs. Like, all right, well, can we drive out there? We'll meet you out there with the dogs. I'm like, no problem whatsoever. So I cruise out there in the golf cart. They come out in their car. They follow me out. It's one of these little SUVs. Now, keep in mind, before we had gone out, I had had a long talk with all the fellas in the sales bullpen and the general manager about what a great sale this is going to be. And we were good to go and everything was fine and life was good and whatnot. We cruise on out there, park, and these are, and this is important, this is going to matter here, these are not big dogs. They are those little rat dogs. And a rat dog is not a, what is the name of the small dog that's really, really furry, Chris? It's really furries, gosh, um, like Benji. You ever seen the movies Benji? What's wrong with you, Chris? It's a small dog, okay, with longer hair. That's the best way I can describe it. No, it's not a long-haired Chihuahua, I don't think. I'm not a dog person. It's not a Chihuahua. It's got more of a flatter face than that, but you get kind of what I'm saying. It's that kind of dog. It might be a Shih Tzu. Look up a Shih Tzu. It could be a Shih Tzu. It's a smaller dog. One of those young, annoying, yapping dogs. And so the dogs are so small, they can't get up the stairs of the RV. The stairs, especially the first step on RVs, can be very, very tall and they can be steep. We've we've actually have, especially the nicer ones now, though I've hand railings on them to make sure, because a lot of these folks are older, bad knees, bad hips. Got to make sure people can get up and down in it. So she gets up there and says, All right, you know, hand me Muffy and Kibbles or whatever their name was. I don't remember their names. He hands her the first dog. She turns the dog, lets it loose. Normally, keep in mind, I would be very much against this, but they're buying the RV. There's there's nothing I'll object to at this point in time. People look at this point, he can stand in the kitchen and pee in the sink, and I wouldn't say a word at this point in time. Hands of the second dog. Dogs are running around, having a blast. He gets up there with the dogs. I am not, as you know, a huge dog person, so I just kind of take it easy. I just kind of stay outside, take it easy. I am smiling to myself. I'm actually texting my wife. Hey, yes, looks like we're finally gonna get a sale. I remember we had this bill that was hanging over us, and I had already, in a huge mistake, fast forwarded in my mind to when I was going to get paid in this particular deal, which was going to be you know two three days from this time. And I'm texting her about, hey, looks like we're gonna be able to pay off this bill. We had a bill we had to pay, and we had no money. We didn't have any money coming in. And I'm texting her, looks like we're going to be good to go. You know, thank goodness. All good, right? Well, they're taking a long time. But I'm being gracious about it because she is curled up on the couch in the RV with the dogs. Dogs are already climbing all over the couch. They're up in the bedroom. And he, multiple times, to his credit, He knew he came out, kept popping his head out the door and be like, hey, man, I'm sorry. Like, this guy is cool. He is a cool cat. Hey, man, I'm sorry. Just give her a couple minutes. I'll get her out of here. And he's getting a little bit annoyed with the whole process. And I'm like, dude, it is fine. And I really meant it because nothing can bring me down right now. It is fine. Everything is totally fine. Finally, he steps out of the RV, stands at the bottom of the stairs and says, honey, okay, it is time to go now. We have to go. And then everything went wrong. As everybody knows, Bethany Mandel is one of my favorite people in the world. We have her on the show. She talks about homeschooling and the nightmare of keeping up with other moms in this day and age. I watch my wife go through this. And so she shot me a message the other day about what Charlotte Pence Bond was doing. And I love it. I love it. You see my kids all the time now, because we watch the news occasionally in my house, we don't try to drown them in it, but they want to know what's going on. My oldest thinks he's going to die every now and then. Are we going to die? Wash your hands, everybody. You know, and so it can be difficult, especially in my blunt way, to explain to them what's what. Charlotte Pence Bond joins me now, though, and she has a way. She has a new thing out there called the Little News Briefing. Yes, she's Vice President Mike Pence's daughter. Charlotte, what is the Little News Briefing?
1: Hi, um, thanks so much for having me on the show. Um, It's uh, basically, I I came up with this idea trying to come up with a way to explain what was going on to kids in kind of a news format. So um, this basically is a show on YouTube and available on podcasts with ricochet.com either to, you know, to watch or listen to, but it's basically a show kind of explaining uh, what's going on in the news their little briefings every day, kind of like we see the White House doing and um, just explaining to the kids kind of what they might be hearing on the news every day.
2: Why do this? What, where, what was the motivation in this? Where did this idea come from?
1: You know, I really wanted to do something that was going to help uh, kids during this time. And when I was kind of coming up with ideas and talking to people about it, I was remembering that, you know, when I was. Uh, eight years old that was when 9-11 happened and I remember very distinctly not being allowed to go in the living room because the tv was on and I would have been scared and so I remember like trying to get my brother to go in and like sneak in and tell us what was going on and so I wanted to provide a way for kids to feel like they were getting the news but in a way that um you know, would respect parents and not give them too much information, but just give them enough to make them feel a little more secure, like they had a handle on what was going on.
2: Now, I know I don't have to explain this to you because of who your father is, but this is a hyper-partisan environment out there. (laughs) What kind of blowback have you gotten, or are you anticipating for this? Because the truth is you can present the news in a million and one different ways, and especially when it comes yeah. to kids, people are understandably a lot more protective. You say one thing wrong, I'm sure you have people breathing down your neck.
1: Yeah, you know, um, it's interesting. I've I've been it's been pretty well received. I haven't gotten a lot of negative feedback, but it's been uh, definitely a challenge. Um, you know, I'm used to listening to the news every day, or I listen to podcasts like Ben Shapiro and things like that. But obviously, I don't want to be, um, you know, uh, editorial in any way. I want to be just giving them educational facts. So I've tailored it a lot more to, uh, you know, like curriculum. Um, I've looked up, you know, preschool and, uh, you know, elementary school curriculum and kind of gone off of that so that I'm not giving them, you know, any kind of biased opinion. Uh,
2: What are – how does a parent – approach this with their with with their own kids before you came out with little news briefing how like me before i got a hold of this which i love by the way i've watched a few of them with my kids before i got a hold of it what's an appropriate way to interpret news in general to my kids how political should i be with my kids everybody knows i'm a far right wing hack Uh, a far left wing person may have a different way how early do you get political how early did you get political in your house your dad's obviously a politician
1: Yeah, you know, I I think it's kind of for every parent to decide, and that's where I've been trying to be pretty careful not putting, you know, opinions in the shows, but um, we were pretty open in our house. I mean, we talked about, it was obviously something that, um, you know, was was a topic of conversation just because it was, you know, what did you do at work today, Dad, and that would come up, Um, and so... I mean, around the dinner table, we talked about politics um, a lot, but it was in a in a friendly way, and just in a way where we were encouraged to disagree, and we were also encouraged to ask questions.
2: What kind of political environment did your dad raise you in, as far as asking questions? Did he think you should be? And I'm asking this actually for my own kids, and and, and mm-hmm. I want I want your guidance in his. <laughs> should you be? confrontational in school in high school in college if if a professor a a fellow student is being vocal about something you disagree with should you just suck it up and shut your mouth and take it what should i how should parents guide their kids when it comes to that because it's a political world
1: yeah you know I, i think for us uh we were encouraged to ask questions even just within um within our house i mean my my parents ever, you know, wanted us to just believe something because they did. Their philosophy was um, very much, you know, we're going to show you what we believe and then you can decide what you want to believe. And so we had a lot of, uh, you know, heated debates about pol- politics and lifestyle and things like that. Um, so I think that that prepared me well, at least going into um, pretty liberal environments in college and high school. We went to public high school um, and that, you know, it allowed us to understand that there were other points of view as well and not just take everything um, point blank. But then we also, you know, understood our parents' point of view and could kind of come back to them for advice.
2: I like it. A little bit of critical thinking out there. We could use a lot more of that. <laughs> right, speaking with Charlotte Pence Bond here. All right, Charlotte, tell people where they can get this. How do they consume this?
1: Yeah, so this is available on YouTube. My YouTube channel is Charlotte Pence Bond. It's my full name. And then um, it's also available for as a podcast. You can go to ricochet.com and download it there. It's also on Apple and Spotify. So anywhere podcasts are available. And we have a new episode up today.
2: Perfect. And they look up Charlotte Pence Bond or they look up Little News Briefing?
1: Um, you can do either. But uh, I think Charlotte Pence Bond will probably come up uh, pretty quickly
2: outstanding keep doing what you're doing the kids need it out there appreciate you very much
1: thank you thanks for having me
2: be good it's interesting with kids chris what's the right answer i mean let's be honest i feel obviously very strongly about my politics i don't want my kids growing up to be a leftist Uh, yeah you can say that comes from values and i would agree with you they very likely aren't going to But do I tell my kids, we are for freedom. We are against socialism. Or do I tell them, read up on both and find out for yourself. What if they come back and they're like, hey, I'm a socialist. You see what I mean? It gets more complicated than you think. You would think you want them to be freedom-loving patriots. That's what I want out of my kids. But how do you get them there? How do you make sure... They get there. You see parents deal with this all the time when it comes to religion. Chris, I don't know how much your parents shove the Jewish thing down your throat. I'm serious, but, but, you know, what? how do you go that route? I want my kid to be a Jew. Do I force him to be a Jew? Do I tell him he can be a Jew? Do I just r- drop a grab bag of all the religions out there and tell him to pick one? How much do you guide? How much do you let them discover? I have, I mean, mine are 9 and 11 now. I will tell you, because I found the leftist, what do you want to call it, pushing of their politics onto their own kids to be extremely distasteful, I've really avoided it with my kids. If you can believe it or not, my kids haven't really heard me talk much politics in the house. We talk history. They may hear a comment or two. But lately, I've been a bit more outspoken. I've been a bit more outspoken and it's not, I feel like they're ready for it, Chris. And here's the thing. I don't know if that's right. I don't know if that's the right approach, but let's be a, let's, let's be frank here. My kids are not fans of the commie Chinese. (laughs) They definitely know communism. Not good. Not good. All right, we have to do the steel dossier, and we have to talk about French fries, and I have to finish my RV story, and I have to do all that in about six minutes. Hang on.
0: The Jesse Kelly Show.
2: I misspoke earlier as I thought about my story. She got out of the RV first. She was on the ground. He was out there. He was up in the RV with the two little dogs. Remember, the steel's done. First dog gets up to the door. She reaches up, grabs the dog, pulls the dog down. Second dog gets up to the door. Now keep in mind, these stairs are steep. It is probably a four and a half foot drop from the stairs down to the concrete below. Maybe five. I'm not exaggerating. It it was a drop. It was not less than four and a half. I'll tell you that. It was tall. She decides as one last test or something. That she's gonna let the dog try the stairs. Well, I don't know whether this dog was developmentally disabled or or what the problem exactly was, but the dog decided it was gonna leave the RV, but um, but it wasn't gonna try the stairs. The dog chose to take a flying leap out of the RV. Diagonally, so it would miss all the stairs and get down to the concrete as fast as humanly possible. And wow, did it get down to the concrete as fast as humanly possible. And it turns out, whatever kind of little dog this was, it definitely was not part cat. Because that whole land on your feet thing, (whistles) man, did that go the other way. Chris, it sounded it, it sounded legitimately like somebody dropped a book from four and a half feet up straight on its face. Straight on its face. She screams. He runs to the door. The dog is knocked out. For just a brief moment, mind you, the dog is knocked out for a brief moment, but then the dog opens its eyes. And it's shaken like it's trying to crap out a peach pit. And it's not standing up. It's not moving in any significant way besides the shaking. We don't know whether the dog is dying or whether the dog is just so severely concussed that its brain has turned into tapioca pudding. The dog is not doing anything but shaking and now keep in mind i'm watching all this unfold and you know that that thing people will tell you when they get in a horrible car accident and they tell you everything felt like it was in slow motion like you were on the outside looking at it that's what it feels like for me as i stand there with my jaw i do remember my jaw was actually physically hanging open Because now the dog is knocked out. And this is all over the course of like three seconds. The dog is knocked out on the concrete. The lady's screaming. The man goes to the door. And then immediately, look, he was just upset. She was upset. He starts yelling at her with, what did you do? And now she's yelling back to him as they scoop the dog off the pavement like a flapjack and carry it over to the SUV, which is parked out in front, slam the doors, he turns to me and says, I'm sorry, i got to get the dog to the vet. We'll be back another time. Gets in his car and drives away. Now, let me ask you, do you still want to be a salesman? Again, I'm not talking on it. It's a great gig. It's a great life. But you, if you're considering that life, had better figure out a way to deal with that kind of heartbreak. You'd better. Because the stories I could tell you, maybe not that great, they're amazing. They're amazing. In fact, if you have a sales story, good or bad, I want it. Jesse at jessikellyshow.com. Again it's Jesse at jessikellyshow.com. email me. If you send it, I read it. I do not respond most of the time because I have eight trillion emails. I read it, I laugh, I read them all. If you missed any part of the show, the whole show is available pretty much right after the show the whole show is available on iHeart all the podcasts are on I- all the podcasts is- all the podcasts are on iHeart. They're on Google. They're on Spotify. Spotify. I'm doing well today, Chris. They're on Spotify. They're on Apple. You can just subscribe on Apple. Leave us a five-star review. Do we have any reviews, Chris, on Apple? What are they saying? Is it how amazing I am? It probably is, right? I knew it would be. I knew it would be. Leave a five-star review, and if you could, just as a favor to me, so I can read these, could you, could you talk about how handsome I am? That's really, really important to the growth of the show. (laughs) All right, Chris, here we have. We've developed an issue. An issue overall on the show. Going forward, we're going to have to discuss how we need to address this issue. And apparently, I'm going to have to wait a couple minutes before we discuss what the problem is. Hang on a second. Have to bring up the mullet talk right now, Chris. What I said yesterday on social media, Chris likes to bring up old stuff. You can follow the show's social media at Jesse Kelly Show on Twitter, or you can follow me at Jesse Kelly DC. But what I said was mullets, people laugh at them. I mean, because they look ridiculous, but they're kind of cool. They're so ridiculous, they've reached the point of being cool. And I wished I'd grown one when I was younger. And now, I don't have the hair for it, man. Let's be honest, Chris. It's starting to thin on top here. It's starting to retreat like the Italian army on the sides, back towards my ears. I can't do mullet now. Or, is now the perfect time to do mullet? Can you imagine how bad it would look now? (laughs) Hulk Hogan did it and looked electric what he did Chris you idiot if you missed any part of the show I forgot to get to the major problem we're facing but look sometimes I get distracted and run out of time if you missed any part of the show you can find the whole show on iHeart, Google, Spotify Apple, go ahead and subscribe remember to tell me how handsome I am Email me, Jesse at com. That's Jesse at com. We're going to be back tomorrow. You're going to want to be here for our guests tomorrow. And let's be honest, you're going to want to be here for me. That's
0: all. This is the Jesse Kelly Show.
2: Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What Look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash jesse. Who is there for heroes or the families left behind when a service member or first responder dies or is catastrophically injured in the line of duty? Who helps our country's homeless veterans? And who helps our nation to never forget 9-11? Let me tell you who. testosterone fueled again maximize your masculinity today at choq.com use the code jesse for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life choq.com code jesse limited time offer subscription cancelable at any time
3: tired of restless nights at lisa we know good sleep is essential for mental physical and emotional health